Acts chapter number 7. And uh, I hope the message tonight will be a blessing to you. I, I will confess to you it's not really a, a sweet message. Now, I promise I didn't come in to fuss at anybody, amen? But uh, sometimes the Lord gives us a sweet one and sometimes He doesn't. But I believe this might be a help to us tonight because it's something we all struggle with, something we all deal with from time to time. And in fact, it's so prevalent, it's so common that it's found several times, about 15 times throughout the Word of God, is this problem addressed and, and spoken of by name. And I want us to look at about four instances of it tonight and believe we can get a, a good comprehension of what it means in the life of a believer uh, or an unbeliever. It can, it can afflict both. But let's look in Acts chapter number 7. Now, Stephen is preaching. Stephen was a deacon. He was a man that was full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. And uh, he is the first Christian martyr. And he has been brought to trial, so to speak, brought before the council. And they've wanted to ask him what it is he's been preaching about. And uh, let me tell you something. When we really get on fire for God, uh, there'll be folks who want to come and see what it is that's going on. Uh, they say of John Wesley that they asked him one time how it was that he drew such large crowds. And quite a memorable quote. You'll see it. I'm sure you've had it, heard it a hundred times. But he made the statement. He said, I, I simply light myself a fire. And folks come to watch me burn. And certainly, if we get on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ, we won't have to tell nobody we're on fire. Uh, that's one thing about it. Anytime that you've got a, a fire, there's evidence. Amen. There's smoke. There's heat. There's flame. There's light. When we get on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ, it won't be a secret. And uh, Stephen has been brought before the council, and he begins to recount the history of the nation of Israel. And he comes down, he gets to the very heart of it, sort of his closing moments, down in verse number 51. I want us to read just uh, three verses here, and then we'll pray. Stephen says this to the group that is gathered there. He says, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. Look back in verse 51 and notice what he says in his statement here. Ye stiff-necked, and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do ye. Father, bless your word tonight. Use it for your glory in the hearts of those that are gathered here. I pray, Father, that your will would be done in my life and theirs. We do ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Now, there's a lot of interesting things that are mentioned in these verses. No doubt we could take a lot of time to focus on a lot of things. But tonight I want us to notice the very first thing that Stephen says about the group of men that are gathered before him. He uses a phrase that is found many times in the Bible, as we've already noted, and it is a distinctly Jewish phrase. This is actually found all throughout the prophets of the Old Testament. And when the Lord talked about the Jewish people, this was a word that he liked to use, he called them stiff-necked. Now, what does it mean to be stiff-necked. Well, you've probably had a few experiences like I have. You've probably gone to bed. You ever had a, a sort of a restless night? Or, you know, you, it's usually not the restless nights. It's the night when you rest a little too much. And uh, maybe you get your head on the wrong side of the pillow. Maybe you get too many pillows or too few pillows. 
When you wake up in the morning, you go to get out of bed, and uh, all of a sudden it hits you. I remember one time, well, in fact, it was last year, we were getting ready to go to the beach. And, uh, you know, we, we, it was the first big vacation that we, we have ever taken. And it was sort of a, a hectic time leading up to this. There had been, and I can't recall everything now, you know, that's how it is. I mean, the, the troubles of life soon pass away. Most of the time it gets to a place you can't even remember them. But we had had several things that, that happened all at, at one time. And uh, we had had some problems. We had, I remember one time, now your pastor's going to confess something. I hope that's okay. Uh, just a few months prior, we'd been saving up money, wanting to go on this vacation. I, well, I was sitting at home one day, and, and I don't know why, but I got it in my head that I needed cream soda. Anybody ever drink cream soda in here? You know what I'm talking about? And I had it in my... Brother Al said, Amen. <laughs> and that's a fellow cream soda lover right there. And I had it in my head. I just, you know, I wanted to go get some. Leah was gone. Little man, he, you know, he was pretty small at that time. And I thought, you know what? I'm a grown man. I'm a grown man. I own my own home. I, I, I can do anything that I want. I'm going to get in my truck. I'm going to drive to the store. I'm going to buy cream soda. And so uh, I loaded little man up in the car. It was going to be an adventure for us. And we got in the truck and we started heading down the road. They've been doing construction on Maynardville Highway. And uh, it was a Saturday. There wasn't no construction going on. But I guess they was afraid that a state worker was just going to take a notion to come in and work without getting paid for it. I don't know. Because they had cops sitting out there watching that construction zone. So I jumped in the truck and I headed down the road. And those of us that drive Fords, we know how fast and agile an F-150 is. Amen. And uh, we were going down the road and I guess my speedometer got a little bit north of where it should have been. And I, I passed a, a copper, you know, I mean, a, a bear, the truckers would have called him. And we, uh, I passed him and, I, and he was coming by me and I saw him, buddy. He hit them brakes and he began to turn. I thought, oh man, I bought it now. The old man looked for a place to turn off and hide. Amen. But the new man just stayed right there in the lane and slowed down. Well, the new man got a ticket. Amen. And uh, it's, it's funny, even, it don't matter if the old man makes you speed, the new man pays it. And uh, so they, they gave me a ticket. And, buddy, that cut into our vacation fund. We had had some sickness right there before we were getting ready to, to go to the beach. That, that ticket was just a month or so before we went. Everything was going sideways. Many of you remember when a young man from my youth group had, had died, and he died that week. We were supposed to leave on Sunday, and uh, we got the call on Friday that he had passed away. We stayed in town. We did the funeral, and and uh, you know, I mean, we we were we were getting ready to go. It had been a tough tough few weeks, and and uh, we woke up Sunday. We were supposed to do that funeral on Sunday, and uh, Lee always gets up a few minutes before I do, and she she woke up and she went to roll out of bed. This is how I woke up that Sunday morning. I heard her go <gasps> like that. Now, there's a lot of ways you don't want to wake up in the morning, and that's one of them is your wife going <gasps> all at once. And I said, real kind and gentle, because you know me, real kind and gentle, I said, what's the matter with you? <laughs> and she said, my neck. And I said, your neck. And she said, there's something bad wrong. And I thought, oh, no, here we go. So we got her up. We scooped her up. We took her down to the, to the ER, and uh, she was just in, in brutal pain. And, you know, we went through the rigmarole. You go in, you sit down in, in the ER and everything, and we waited, and we finally got back. And we just knew, man, she had busted something loose, or there was some kind of foreign parasite living in her head or something. And the doctor comes back, 
And he says, well, uh, Miss Weber, here's the problem. And he lists a big, long disease. It was terrifying. I don't know what it was. I, I, I mean, I, I, he gave us a name. It had 37 letters. And we said, what is that, Doc? And he said, it's a stiff neck. <laughs> I said, a stiff neck? He said, yep. Your neck muscle has locked down tighter than Fort Knox. We said, what do we do? And he said, well, we've got a little medicine. We can give it to you. And so there we were, the day before vacation, my wife laid up. You know why? Because she's stiff-necked. Amen? That's the moral of the story. It's a pretty common thing when you think about it. A stiff neck is a pretty prevalent problem. There's probably not a person in here that hadn't woke up at some point and went to move and uh, your body just didn't do what you told it to and a pain shot through your neck because it's something that we all experience as part of being a human being. A stiff neck is a painful problem. If you've ever had it, you know it. Amen? I promise you, if you don't believe me, you can call my wife and she'll tell you. And we notice that a stiff neck is a prohibitive problem. Uh, One thing about it, it keeps you from doing certain things. If you ever see someone, if you ever see me, if I get, we always called it a crook in the neck. I don't know what fancy, you know, rich people call it, but I, I, I mean, the poor folks called it a crook in your neck or a crick in your neck or something. And, uh, you know, when you have it, one thing about it, it impedes your movement. It does not enable you to do what you otherwise could do. God has put the head on a swivel, and He's called us to be vigilant and sober, and He expects us to be. But when we get in such a situation, it is impossible to move our neck as God would have us to. Such is the description that Stephen gives and that God gives to the nation of Israel. He says that God has created you with a liberty and a freedom that you refuse to exercise. It is painful to you when you are faced with this situation. You know, I got to thinking about some of the things that maybe you couldn't do if you had a stiff neck. And I know this may seem a little silly, but I want to give you four things that I believe have a spiritual application that a person with a stiff neck is unable to do. Turn back with me to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter number 9, the fifth book in the Word of God. Deuteronomy is the repeating of the law, the repetition of the law. God has already given His holy law, but because He really means what He says, He had Moses to recount the giving of the law to the nation of Israel. And God is talking about some of the things that He's done for the nation of Israel and some of the things that He would like to do for them. Look down in verse number 3. The Lord says this. It says, Understand therefore this day that the Lord thy God is He which goeth over before thee. As a consuming fire He shall destroy them, speaking of the Canaanites, and He shall bring them down before thy face. So shalt thou drive them out and destroy them quickly, as the Lord hath said unto thee. Now the Lord said, You're going to beat the Canaanites. I'm going to drive them out from before you. Supernaturally, I will march at the front of your army. I will drive them out. But then the Lord says this, Speak not thou in thine heart, after that the Lord thy God hath cast them out from before thee, saying, For my righteousness the Lord hath brought me in to possess this land. But for the wickedness of these nations the Lord doth drive them out from before thee. 
not for thy righteousness or for the uprightness of thine heart, dost thou go to possess their land, but for the wickedness of these nations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee, and that he may perform the word which the Lord sware unto thy fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Understand, therefore, that the Lord thy God giveth thee, not this land, good land to possess it for thy righteousness, for thou art a stiff-necked people. And you know what the Lord's saying here? The Lord's saying, there's going to come a day when I'm going to drive out the Canaanites from before you. I'm going to supernaturally uh, execute my vengeance upon these nations and evacuate the land and make a way for you to possess it. And then he says, you know, I know something about you, though. There will be a great temptation on that day to say that the reason God did this is because we deserved it. Boy, don't we all have that temptation sometimes? We think that God does things because we deserve it. i got news for you, friend. If we had what we deserved, we'd be in hell tonight. Uh, if we got what you hear people say sometimes, boy, I just wish that God was fair with me. No, you don't. If God was fair with you, He'd give you the punishment of your sins. He deals in mercy and grace, and we better praise His name that He does. And he told them, he said, on that day, you're going to be tempted to say it was because of my righteousness, because of of their righteousness. And the Lord says, but remember, that's not the reason. There are two reasons I'm doing this. One, because they are a wicked people. They have offended me. They have stood against me. They have defied me. And I am a just God that will exact vengeance. There's a second reason, because I made a promise to your fathers. I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that I would bring them into this land. And you know what he says? He says, there'll be a tendency for you to want to consider it your just desserts and not stop and thank me for what I've done for you. Can I say this? That a a, a stiff neck has no ability to look up and to be grateful. They say about a pig, I'm sure you've heard this before. You know, many of you have uh, studied the ark and you know that in the ark there was only one window and it looked up. God wanted Noah and his family's attention and focus and priority and faith to be an upward thing. He didn't want them to look around at the waves that were around them. He didn't want them to look around at the death that was floating around in those waters, but to look only upward to Him. By contrast, uh, some of you may know that a pig, you know, in the Bible, a pig is an unclean animal. I'm glad in the New Testament day of grace that a pig is not an unclean animal. Amen. Uh, because I just I love pork and sausage and bacon too much, Amen. I just I mean I just have to be unclean. But a pig was considered an unclean animal. In fact, the book of, of James likens the lost individual uh, to a swine that goes back to uh, their wallowing. And did you know that a pig has no ability? Their neck muscles do not allow them to look upward and to see what's above them. They can look down. They can look to the left. They can look right. But they have no ability to look up. Boy, it's befitting that God would uh, point to them to picture the lost sinner and to picture the backslidden Christian with no capacity to look upward and to see where your blessings come from. The book of James also tells us this, that every good thing uh, and every perfect thing cometh down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. It doesn't come from below. It doesn't come from the left or from the right. It comes above from the hand of God. But when a person gets stiff-necked, when they get rebellious, when they get to a place where they are obstinate and where they have grown cold toward the things of God, one of the first things that goes is their thankfulness and their praise. 
Uh, oftentimes it is a product of pride. You ever met somebody? I've known folks like this. They were too proud to say thank you. You ever met somebody like that? Too proud to say th- They did not want to admit that they needed anything in the first place. <laughs> Boy, that's an ugly situation to be in. And if you're here tonight and you find it hard, difficult, now don't misunderstand me. The natural man, the old man, the flesh never wants to give God the credit and glory that He's due. But if you're born again tonight, then you have a new man that lives within you that responds to the leading of the Holy Spirit of God. And he ought to rejoice and give thanks and give gratitude to the God of heaven. I understand that it's unnatural to the old man, but it's perfectly natural to the new man. And it could be that if you find it hard to give thanks, if you find it rare that you have gratitude in your life, it is because you're yielding to the old man who is obstinate and rebellious and stiff-necked. I'd say one of the first things that a stiff neck can't do, it can't look up, it's ungrateful. But I want you to turn with me over to chapter 10, the very next chapter, and look at a second thing that a stiff neck cannot do. Look down in verse number 12. The Bible says this, And now Israel... What doth the Lord thy God require of thee? Now stop and think about that. Boy, we could preach that, couldn't we? What does God expect of His people? What does He require of them? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all His ways, and to love Him and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and His statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's thy God, the earth also, with all that therein is. Only the Lord had a delight in thy fathers to love them, and he chose their seed after them, even you above all people as it is this day. Now, I want to pause for a second think about what God's saying here. Uh, the Lord is saying this, it's not a complicated thing to serve God. Now, let me tell you something. We even live in this day of grace where the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, that was contrary to us, has been taken out of the way, been nailed to the cross of Christ. We preached on that Sunday morning in which we don't even have the ceremonial and the, and the, the uh, social laws that the Jews had upon them. It is even more simple for you and I in following the Lord today. All we have to do is yield to the Word of God and yield to the Spirit of God. And what the Lord is saying here is, I'm not asking you to do so something beyond your comprehension. Now, I understand the Old Testament law was not given to justify a man. It was given to condemn him. And I'm aware of all the theological implications of that. But what God's saying is at the very heart of it, you know what I want? I want you to love me. I want you to love others. I want you to obey the Word of God. And I want you to serve me. He's saying, I've asked you to do things that though you may not perform them flawlessly, you can perform them faithfully. I have asked just this much out of your life. And then he says, you know who I am. He's saying, everything belongs to me. I'm the God that that sits on the circle of the earth. I've created everything around. And I have loved you. And I have chosen you. And I have asked so little of you. Then he says this, Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart, and be no more stiff-necked. For the Lord your God is God of gods, and the Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty and a terrible, which regardeth not persons, nor taketh reward. He doth execute the judgment of the fatherless and widow, and loveth the stranger in giving him food and raiment. You know what God's saying here? He's saying, I'm a great God, and I've been good to you, and I've not asked much of you. And because of that, will you not yield to the things that I ask of you? 
but a stiff-necked man, he will not yield. In fact, a stiff-necked man has no capacity to look down in humility. He is unabasing. You, you know, I understand there's times we've got to stand on principle, you know? Yeah, I mean, there's times we have to stand on principle. But I know a lot of folks, they don't just stand on principle, they stomp on principle. I mean, they don't just take a stand. Everything's got to be a fight. You ever met anyone like that? Everything's got to be a fight all the time. And there is something within them that can't handle getting beat. Now, I don't know about you. I don't like to get beat. I don't like to lose anything, you know. I don't like, I don't like to lose arguments. I don't like to lose games. You don't want to play Monopoly with me. Somebody say amen to that, you know. I don't like to lose. I don't like to be beat. I don't like to be bested. But I'm also keenly aware of this. If I'm going to bow the knee to somebody, it ought to be bowing the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. If there's anybody that I should have no struggle in bowing before and abasing myself and humbling myself before, it ought to be the Lord of lords, the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of glory. But when a stiff-necked man comes face to face with God, he bows up and doesn't want to give God the authority in his life that God is due. I was a youth pastor for a little while, and everybody in here probably knows that. And when I was a youth pastor, I dealt with teenagers. And uh, one thing you realize in dealing with teenagers, there are two things that you realize. One, you realize that teenagers do things that only teenagers do. <laughs> there are certain things that teenagers will do. Uh, they'll, uh, what, what is it that you've heard? Cut off their nose to spite their face. You ever heard that before? That best defines teenagers. And I've seen them do that, man. They just don't want to be told. It doesn't matter if who's telling them. It doesn't matter what they're being told. Just on principle, they don't want to be told. But there's a second thing that I've learned, which is this. Though that is something that teenagers are very good at, it's something that adults never lose the tendency to do either. I told you about getting a speeding ticket a second ago. Boy, I, and, and, I, and I'll be honest. Now, the Lord of heaven, he, he knows my heart. And I was perfectly respectful to that police officer on the outside. Amen? I'm not going to say there wasn't a part of me on the inside that wasn't very unhappy with what was happening. I, I won't say there wasn't a part of me on the inside that thought, well, why did he pick me? A line of traffic and he picked me. But I have learned this. A good exercise in the human spirit is when you're going down the road and you see somebody pulled over, because you're going to do it anyway, all right? Everybody rubbernecks. That's why if somebody gets pulled over, it backs up the interstate for six miles, because we all think somehow we're going to be called to be witnesses in court. Amen? We want to see what kind of car and what they look like. Take a moment and look at the look on a, on a grown adult's face when they get pulled over. Most of the time, you'll see that glimmer in their eye of rebellion and defiance. The same thing that, that makes the teenager say, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up in the inside, is the same thing that makes that adult think, I may be slowing down on the outside, but I'm a-hitting the gas on the inside. The fact of the matter is, it's within all of us. But when we yield to the flesh, we find that oftentimes, even in the very face of the God of heaven, We'll find ourselves bowing up against what God would seek for our lives. You know the basic thrust of what God's trying to tell him? He's trying to tell him this. He's trying to say, look, I don't ask a lot of you, and I love you dearly, and I want nothing than what's best for you, and I'm going to get my will, and I'm going to get my way, and if I need to do it, I can do it through executing judgment and wrath, but a far better way is for you to just yield and let me have my way in your life. We could look at Jonah, couldn't we? Jonah was his own man, right? 
until he became a whale's lunch. God has his way of getting his will accomplished. God has his way of getting our attention. You know what? Jonah went to Nineveh. It may have took a longer time than it had to. It may have took a lot more heartache than it should have. But he found his way to Nineveh. Wouldn't it have been better for Jonah if he had just yielded to the Lord? But then wouldn't that be true of our life as well? If we wouldn't allow ourselves to grow stiff-necked against God and to say, no, Lord, it's going to be my way and not your way. I want you to notice a third thing. I think that probably we could, we could say that a stiff-necked person can't look up. And so they are ungrateful. They can't look down and so that they are unabasing. But turn over to the book of Jeremiah with me. And I want you to notice a third thing tonight. Jeremiah chapter 17. Now, I think this sort of in some ways agrees with what we just mentioned. But I think in some ways it goes even deeper. Jeremiah chapter 17. Look at verse 21. The Bible says this, Thus saith the Lord, Take heed to yourselves, And bear no burden on the Sabbath day, nor bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem. Neither carry forth a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath day. Neither do ye any work, but hallow ye the Sabbath day as I commanded your fathers. Now, let's just pause for a minute and think about what was just said. Christ made this clear in the New Testament, that the Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. I think that, uh, you know, that especially this generation, a lot of young people, and I'm still a young person somewhat, so I can talk bad about this generation. Um, but uh, one of the things that plagues this generation is laziness. Laziness, laziness. Just don't want to do anything, you know. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if it's something they're interested in, something they're not interested in. Just don't want to exert effort. Don't want to exert work. I mean, that's, that's part of the problem. You know, they just called for a $15 minimum wage there in California. And uh, you know what's going to happen? It's going to become automated. Amen. They're going to, they ain't going to pay them $15 an hour. Most of the business is going to turn around and leave, but those that stay are going to say, we don't need you to, you know, miscount people's change. We can get a machine to do that. Amen? Uh, but there is a definite trend towards laziness in society. Wouldn't you think that this command would have been an easy command for them? I mean, read it again. Look, thus saith the Lord, take heed to who? Take heed to yourselves. It doesn't say take heed to me or take heed to your neighbor. It says take heed to yourselves. Bear no burden on the Sabbath day. Well, that's not bad, is it? I mean, he's saying, don't carry anything that's heavy on the Sabbath day, nor bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem. He says, don't even bring it home. He says, neither carry forth a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath day. Don't even leave your house with a burden. Neither, notice this, do ye any work, saying, take that as a day of rest and relaxation. He says, hallow that day. But notice what it says in verse 23. But they obeyed not, neither inclined their ear, but made their neck stiff that they might not hear nor receive instruction. I would say that a stiff neck can't look up because it's ungrateful. It can't look down because it's unabasing. But I would say that it cannot even nod in agreement because it's unyielding. Unyielding. We've been trying to, you know, we, we've been trying to teach our boy. We've been trying to teach him a lot of things, but he's, he's going through potty training right now. And uh, you pray for us. That's not a joke. You pray for us. Amen. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a process. And uh, the Lord's good. He's catching on. He's doing real well, you know. And, uh, but, you know, when we correct our son, one of the things that we require of him, if he does something wrong, if he uh, screams at his mom or says something ugly and we have to discipline him, is after we have disciplined him, then we'll say, now it's time to apologize. 
And, uh, you know, he's just a little fella, but he knows how to apologize. He knows how to say it, and he knows what he's done wrong. We'll say, now, this is what you did wrong. I want to hear you tell me what you did wrong. And you ought to hear some of the excuses he'll make to try to not tell us. He'll say, the first thing he always says is, I love you, Mommy. <laughs> now, it's just as easy to say, I'm sorry, as it is to say, I love you, Mommy. But there's something about it that makes him not want to say that. He'll say all the time, he'll say, I'm sorry, and we'll say, what for? And he'll say, well, I'm sorry for this, or I'm sorry for that. Tiptoe those little feet all around, whatever the issue is. He'll spend way more time being unyielding than he ever would have if he had just yielded and just received instruction. But foolishness is bound within the heart of a child. And there's something within him that makes him not want to receive instruction. You know, have you ever met someone that just can't be told? I've learned this to be true, that a person that thinks they know everything can learn nothing. When we think we have everything figured out, when we think that nobody can teach us, nobody can train us, nobody can tell us, then we have effectively reached the limit of our intellectual and spiritual growth. You're never going to move any further than that. When you refuse to receive instruction, I've been very blessed, you know, and we got good people, and they were good to me. They took, man, they took a chance on a 22-year-old kid. I'd never pastored anywhere, and they've been very good to me. So I've not had to struggle with this the way that a lot of pastors have. But I do know a lot of young pastors that one of their greatest obstacles is they deal with an, uh, an older congregation that just refuses to heed and hear anything that that pastor preaches. And it can be a small thing. It can be a silly thing. It can be an an inconsequential thing. It can be something that is for their good and something that there's no reason they should struggle with. But just what did we say on principle? They refuse to hear. They refuse to learn. One thing that has been a humbling experience, I think, for probably this this generation of older folks is the advent of technology. Amen? Amen. Uh, There's some things that they have to learn from young people. But by and large, and by the way, it's not just young people. You remember when your teenager turned 16 and learned everything in the universe there was to know? You remember that? Uh, They turned 16, all of a sudden there's nothing you could teach them, nothing you could tell them, nothing you could show them. But what would they say? Anything you wouldn't tell them, they'd say, I know, (laughs) I know that you wondered where they learned all that. (laughs) They knew things you didn't even know. I know, I know, I know. But the fact of the matter is, there's a lot of Christians that are that way too. They come into the house of God, they sit, and they're polite, and they listen in as much as they hear the words, but their heart is never open to the instruction that God has for them. Let me tell you, and I don't say this for my benefit, I say it for yours, that uh, you'll be fed in direct correlation to the measure by which you respect the pulpit, not respect the preacher, respect the pulpit and the willingness you come with to be fed. Let me tell you something, when, God, when you come to the table hungry, you know what He's after? He's after people that are hungry and thirsty after righteousness. And you come to be fed, listen, the preacher may not have much of an outline, the preacher may not have much of a sermon, but I believe God will see that His people are fed when they come hungry. By the same token, if you come and you have no desire to hear, it doesn't matter what's preached. There was a crowd that didn't want to hear the Apostle Paul, isn't that right? 
There was a crowd that did not want to hear the Apostle Paul. You know what he said to the church of Galatia? He said, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They had shut Paul out. He had to remind them that there was a time when they would have plucked their own eyes out and given them to him. That this blessedness that they spake of was once so prevalent. And now they didn't even want to open his letters. What happened to those people? They became stiff-necked. They thought, and it's interesting that uh, Paul said it in this way. He, he makes this statement in chapter number 4 of the book of Galatians. He says, tell me, ye that seek to be under the law, hear ye the law. That's interesting. You know why? Because what he's saying is this. He's saying, you think you know so much about it. Why don't we talk a little bit about the Old Testament law? And he goes through a discourse on Hagar and, and on Ishmael and on Sarah and on Isaac. And he waxes poetic and he, he waxes theological as he unveils to them how that, that paints a beautiful picture of the putting away of the Old Covenant and the embracing of the New Covenant. And he basically dazzles them a little bit with his Old Testament theology. You see, you know what they had forgotten? They had forgotten that Paul, as touching the righteousness which was concerning the law, blameless. They had forgotten that he was a man that had sat at the feet of Gamaliel. They had forgotten that. Now, how did they do that? This is a man that has learned in the Old Testament law. He knows what they're talking about. What happened? They became stiff-necked. It wasn't that Paul wasn't smart enough anymore. It was that he began to disagree with their lifestyle. And when that happened, they shut him down and they refused to listen to him. Let me tell you something. God has used people in my heart that I have zero interest in. But He used them in my heart and life. Sometimes when I was willing, in fact, all the time when I was willing, but even times when I wasn't so willing, God has used people in my heart and life that if I had had the choice in it, I wish that sermon had come from anybody else. I wish that word of exhortation had come from anybody else. But somehow God got through my stiff neck and my thick skull and He spoke to my heart. And that's just a good lesson to realize that God can use anybody in anything when He chooses. I'd say that a, that a stiff neck can't nod in agreement. But I want you to go back to Acts chapter 7. Notice something that you may have not noticed at first. And we'll close with this thought. Again, Stephen is dealing with the, the nation of Israel. And he's dealing with the people of Israel. And he makes this statement. He says, "...ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost." That right there, that, that's a good text verse when people tell you that they believe in, the, in, in irresistible grace. You ever heard somebody say that? I don't believe you can resist the Holy Ghost. Well, you know, uh, that's not what Stephen believed. <laughs> Stephen said, "...ye do always resist the Holy Ghost." Then he says this, notice this, "...as your fathers did, so do ye." Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. You know what he's saying to him? He's saying, your fathers persecuted the prophets, and here you are in the same mess that they were in. I'd say this, that a stiff neck can't look up because it's ungrateful. It can't look down because it is unabasing. It, or it can't, look, uh, it can't look down because it's unabasing. It can't nod in agreement because it's unyielding. But I would say this, that a stiff neck can't look back because it is unlearning. He says, because of your stiff neck, you're repeating the same mistakes that your fathers have for generations. It's an ugly thing. I don't think we need to live in the past. I've heard people say before, if you're tripping over your past, you're going in the wrong direction. And I say amen to that. But I do believe this. Time and again, you'll find in the Word of God, uh, particularly in the Psalms, 
over and over again. You know what the psalmist did? He retold the stories and histories of the nation of Israel. And time and again in the New Testament, the word remember is found over and over and over again. We're studying through First and Second Peter in the Apollos course, and Peter himself talks about stirring up your pure minds by way of remembrance. And it's a wise thing in your life the day you learn to learn from your mistakes. You've heard it said before that experience is a harsh and expensive teacher. You've heard people say it's better to learn by example than by experience. You ever heard someone say that? You know the sad truth? So many of us, we don't learn by example, but we don't even learn by experience. We go through things and God shows us and God deals with us and rather than taking mental note of that and acknowledging what God has shown us and taught us, we push it off, we neglect it, we ignore it, we forget the hand that has fed us and has been so good to us and we ignore what God has heretofore done in our lives. It's a great thing when we realize that we don't have to repeat the same mistakes over and over again. Now, I'll make a confession to you. I oftentimes do. There's times that there are besetting sins. There's times that there are things we struggle with. You're not above it. I'm not above it. But we do not have to stay in that vicious cycle. We can learn. We can grow. Listen, something's wrong when we're in the same place today that we were a year ago in our spiritual walk. I've known lots of people like that, man. I mean, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years old that are at the same spiritual maturity level they were the day that they got up from the altar as a newborn babe in Christ. They don't read the Word of God. They don't study the Word of God. They don't pray. They don't yield to the Lord. They don't try to witness. They don't grow. They don't allow God to work and to mold and to shape in their life. And so when, for the time being, they ought to be teachers... Instead, they're babes desiring the sincere meat. When they ought to have need of strong meat, they need milk. You know, one of the reasons, they, they're stiff-necked and they can't look back and see the mistakes that they've made. They can't see what they've done in their life. Now, I don't mean we need to dwell on the past, but I do mean that we need to take heed of the past. I'm not saying that we need to live in the past, but I am saying we need to learn from the past. A lot of folks, they're too stiff-necked. You know, a lot of folks, that's the problem. When you won't admit that you've done anything wrong, you can't learn how to do anything right. When you won't admit that something was wrong, you have no, you'll never say, I'm going to do it different the next time. You'll continue to make the same problems over and over again. It was said before that Einstein, how did he define insanity as repeating the same process over and over again when you're getting the same result? said, that's insanity. That's insanity. We see that in the lives of a lot of Christians. Why? Because they won't allow that will to be broken before God. They won't allow that neck to become unstiff, where it's malleable, where there's liberty. And you know, that's what liberty is. Liberty is not license. Liberty is the ability to choose and to serve God. That's what He's given us. The liberty, the choice in the matter. It's not, it's not a bunch of rules, but He's given us a relationship that will enable us to live for Him. I wonder tonight where we're at. You know, probably some of us in this room, maybe to some degree all of us, can identify with this. Maybe a little, maybe a lot. And maybe there's something that God has shown you in your life. Now you have a choice. You can stay stiff-necked and not learn from the past and not look backwards. Or you can say, Lord, I know that I've done wrong, but I want to yield to you and I want you to work in my heart and in my lifetime. I don't want to be stiff-necked. I want to be malleable and yielded 